From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we sit down with Mary Ann Bellazzini of Campo de Bella. She shares her story of growing up on the north side of Chicago and evolving from being on the expected track of having a typical suburban career to detouring to moving to rural Wisconsin. Abundant gardens led to the family farm business and eventually the farm-to-table enterprise she runs today. Mary Ann Bellazzini and her husband Mark run Campo de Bella, a farm-to-table restaurant and winery in Blue Mounds, Wisconsin, serving Italian-inspired farm dining experiences. Self-taught on the farming side, Mary Ann and her family moved from the Chicago scene and for several years ran a vegetable CSA inspired by the abundant gardens. Her Italian heritage and love for creating welcoming settings around food inspired the current food service venture. So we are here with Marianne Balazzini at Campo de Bella in lovely southern Wisconsin here. Thank you so much for sharing your story as you always do of the ins and outs of creating this beautiful farm enterprise you have here. But we want to kick things off with your story, which I know you share with me of not having farm roots, right? And having yes. urban Chicago roots even. But where where did where did you start? <laughs> uh, well, so my husband Mark and I uh, are co-owners of Campo di Bella here in South Central Wisconsin, um, which is in the township of Blue Mounds outside of Mount Horeb, which is a Norwegian based uh, town, heritage town. Uh, and we're known for our trolls. So I need oh, to put, yes. put that plug the in. Troll way. <laughs> the troll way is a big one here. Um, Mark and I, however, are were born and raised in the north side of Chicago. We grew up 12 blocks away from each other. Um, we didn't know each other until after college. Uh, my high school girlfriend introduced us when she went to college with Mark at DePaul University. And um, we... Uh, started dating. And at that point, we had no idea we were going to end up farmers. We were just 220-somethings trying to get degrees and find a job and live a good life, a suburban life, I guess, would be what we were aiming for back then. Yeah. That's about 23 years ago. So <laughs> we've come a long way and a, a far away way from that point. But it's taken us back and forth from Illinois to Wisconsin a couple of times, his work, his other work. And um, in 2007, well, in 2004, we came back to Wisconsin um, permanently. We knew we wanted to live here and raise our kids here. We had our oldest in 2001. So he was three years old and we wanted to look for land and we were going to build um, a house on five acres of property. Again, we had had small gardens throughout 
are are moving around from Illinois to Wisconsin, but never anything for production, just for our own personal use. Well, you're both Italian, everybody. Right. So you need a little bit of tomatoes, <laughs> you, need you need some herbs. Our herb garden was always bigger than our tomato garden anyway. Um, so in 2005, we had our second son at the same time that we broke ground on that home that we were building on five acres out out near Mount Horeb here. And um, we had this big garden. The garden came before the, the actually before we broke ground on the house. Um, we didn't have any water at that point, but we were gardening nonetheless. And we always had big gardens and um, we just had too much herbs and vegetables for just the four of us. So we asked some people what we should do and they suggested we go to the Mount Horeb Farmer's Market. And we thought that was a great idea and we got to meet some really cool people at the market vending. And we learned about community-supported agriculture and we really thought that was the way to go. Now, what I tell my guests at the restaurant is that the normal path would be for someone to buy a membership to another CSA farm and see what 20 weeks of vegetable means and how you can use it and all that. Then you'd go and work on that farm or another farm as a worker share and then possibly start your own business as oh, a CSA oh, farm. Be normal, right? <laughs> we just moved straight in. We skipped those first two steps. And in 2008, in December, um, we found this property. It was 20.7 acres. And um, some other things had happened in Mark's work uh, off farm. And we just thought, what are we doing this for? We really just want to help people understand how to grow and to eat and to prepare good, healthy food for themselves and their families. And our boys were still pretty little at the time. And so um, spring of 2009, we uh, planted our first CSA uh, season. And unfortunately... <laughs> Where we planted is where you're sitting right now. And there's about a foot and a half of stone right under the topsoil. So we got super nervous. Um, mind you, Mark and I do not have ag degrees. So that's another kicker. Everything we learned is on a large learning curve. And so uh, we um, double planted that year and had some, um, the previous owners had had some gardens in the back behind the farmhouse. So we made sure that we had enough vegetables for the, for the first 11 families of our CSA program. And so that's how we started the that's CSA fascinating. Movement. So your whole move rural and move to Wisconsin was motivated by your personal family and wanting to raise your kids yeah. out of the city. And yeah, we did. There was no vision for this then. No, 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 no. <laughs> we had no idea. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I really could have used some ag courses in college. Um, but no, we had no idea that's what we were going to do. Um, Mark was studying in healthcare. I was studying in education. Um, we And when the kids were here, we had lived in Chicago for a little bit with our oldest uh, because of Mark's work and just really knew we didn't want to be there forever. That wouldn't be our forever home. We knew Wisconsin would be our forever home. We just didn't know what that entailed or looked like. And um, then we, in 2007 and eight, we, we were going back and forth to Italy to visit um, his and my extended family members because we're first generation Italian Americans, which means our parents immigrated here in the late uh, 40s and well, late 50s and 60s and as children and as teenagers. And so we've always had that connection and that kinship to our extended family members o over the Atlantic Ocean. And um, we started building those relationships and had a small apartment left to us by his grandmother. And so 
we loved their lifestyle and we loved the way that they looked at life. Everything was about spending time together. There was no rush in anything. You didn't rush through lunch. Those are two and a half hour lunches. They're called <laughs> pranzos yeah. and with wine and good ah. food and company. And we just really loved that concept of it. Their day is a lot longer, similar to farmer's days. Um, and it's not compacted in an eight to five kind of format. Um, and we just really enjoyed getting to know our family and all the great things that were over in Italy at the time. And so um, we wanted to create that here on the farm, but that wasn't our intention when we first opened the CSA. The, we were just going to be vegetable farmers and see how that went. And um, then we we turned 40 somewhere in the five years that we were a CSA. And we instead of the Maserati, Mark bought two sheep. <laughs> and that started the menagerie of animals on this farm. And um, we ended up with uh, being pig farmers at, at one point. We're uh, sheep farmers. We've had dairy cows and, and milked cows. We've had turkey. No, no, sorry. No turkeys. Ducks, guinea fowl, uh, chickens, meat chickens, rabbits, a couple barn cats and a dog. I think that rolls out. But one summer night, we were sitting around the bonfire, um, I would say three years into the CSA, and we counted all the animals on the farm, and there were 75 of them, and there were only four of us. And we're like, okay, we really got to slow down now. And so we, we started talking about what we could do. And at about that time, we were asking our CSA members about their needs and what else would they like us to offer them. We were offering cooking classes. We were providing weekly newsletters with recipes, telling them about our farm. We really loved the idea of bringing people together on the farm to show them how their food grew. And so um, they said, well, you could cook for us. And we started <laughs> laughing. We're like, well, so can you. And they're like, yeah, but it looks so much better when you do it. And so um, that's when we started the farm-to-table concept off-farm. Really? So so the spark for that came from your CSA members? Absolutely. Yeah. They're the ones that said, we'd love for you to cook for us. Oh, but that's super important to know because it's important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you already had a customer base that supported you, but you were also doing what they wanted more of. Right. And our customer base was very small in the big CSA movement statistics we literally had just 27 other families. We were not large at all. And we focused mainly on Italian um, vegetables and herbs that they could cook with and use. So we were educating them on some things they had never even been introduced wow. to or even thought about trying. Um, we had quite a few snafus, though. The one year that Mark ordered um, big size, I think they were called king size blue Hubbard squash. And we had no idea that these things were gigantic when they finally grew I out. I've seen those recently, yes. <laughs> and we brought them to our CSA pickup sites and I had customers turn uh, turn me away. They wouldn't take one home. And I said, well, you could just put it on your porcelain <laughs> as a decoration. Um, and literally you needed a hatchet to cut through the blue. <laughs> so we learned, we had quite a few mistakes in that whole growing process of being a vegetable farm and stuff like that but people so. wanted you to cook that squash for them they did they, <laughs> they did not want to have to do it themselves they wanted me to hatch it and and, yeah. and cut it up and cook it and bake it and turn it into wonderful treats and, and that's stuff. what you hear period today of people 
the good news is people appreciating where their food's coming from and wanting to know their farmer yet at the same time are time strapped and are there other ways to serve this up like literally on a plate so we'll talk more about uh this amazing journey you have had with mark on the kitchen and opening the restaurant now but so that idea sparked with the CSA members. And what are you doing today? Where are things now? For the CSA, we no longer offer a CSA. We tried to carry both for a little bit, and it just became too labor intensive. And we're a very small farm, and so we do a lot of the work ourselves and or hire out a couple of worker shares. So today we just have um, a third of an acre of land devoted strictly to producing vegetables, mainly for the farm-to-table dinners. But we're open year-round, so we have 52 weekends to make sure that we have vegetables for. So when we're planting and we're harvesting, we're thinking about not only at the peak of that moment, harvesting that gorgeous vegetable for that weekend's dinner, but what's it gonna, we want to make sure it tastes the same way in January or March or until the next time we can have that vegetable. Particularly tomatoes are a big one. Having that August, September kissed tomato taste in February or April when you're dying for a great tomato here in Wisconsin. So this current chapter Campo de Bella is in where I'm literally sitting right now, you have built from the ground up. This is a it's, restaurant. Yep. I mean, we talk about kitchens, but I mean, this is a restaurant this kitchen. This is a winery. You're the Italian, winery restaurant. So there's yeah. a winery too. <laughs> Absolutely. There's lodging. Yeah. It's a beautiful building and obviously a big project. Uh, I would say continues. so, but yeah. And I think you just, it kind of develops as it goes on um, what, what the next chapter will look like. Uh, this will be 2019 will be our um, fifth year doing the restaurant winery and I don't see myself stopping ever. I mean, when my kids get old enough and if they want to take it over, then to maybe someday I'd like to go over and maybe retire to Italy a few months out of the year, but I think nice. I would miss my Wisconsin season, so I think I'll be back. I'll stay here for permanently. <laughs> and how has the transition been from I mean, I realize it, it's still evolving and it happened over years to go from full-time, I mean, farmer with your hands in the soil and the CSA side to now more restaurant entrepreneur host. And there's other layers to it now, right? Or yeah. other roles. Yeah. But I mean, they're yeah. all still your personality. I mean, I, yeah. for, at one level, I'm like, this wasn't a transition at all. You're just doing the same thing you've been doing in a different setting. Exactly. I mean, I've always been in education. I'm just educating people differently than I was when we were running the CSA. And before that, I was counseling students on college and career. And so now I counsel the animals <laughs> and I counsel my guests on wines and foods and how we created the meal for them and stuff like that. It's the, it's kind of the same thing. It's just a different way of looking at it and stuff. So I, I find it fascinating and fun. And the customers are so amazing and so gracious um, to listen to me for two hours on a Saturday night, babble on about all of our cooking experiences and or um, uh, failures and or triumphs, depending oh, on what happens. That. And it's such a unique dining experience because you're still rural. Yep. I mean, people drive out here. Yeah. It's depending on the time of year, dark, yeah. but it's remote, right? Yeah. This isn't, this is a restaurant, but I'm Right. I'm using air quotes here. Right. It's not, because, yeah. it ain't Applebee's. You, know, you don't have the open sign. You don't have the big neon sign saying, come this way, because 
my neighbors live down the street and I have to be respectful of their, of their land as well. And so I don't have the luxury to put up big signs that say, follow us to the nearest restaurant and stuff and like that. And you're not, so, I mean, you describe your hours now. I mean, oh, you, so Fridays and Saturday nights only uh, during the winter. Um, and then come May, we'll open up the patios for, um, wine bar and munchies kind of appetizer menu from one to five in the afternoon. But right now we're doing Friday nights from four 30 to nine o'clock. You can walk in and still have those munchies and a wine tasting, or you can register and pay online, um, for the Chinita dinner, which is a three course dinner. And that gets served at six 30. So we've evolved quite a bit and things changed pretty fast here on the farm. So last December, we weren't doing Chinita dinners on Friday nights. We were doing, um, dinners. I don't even know what we were doing last, <laughs> last December, but, um, it's evolved from having munchies and maybe having an entree and an appetizer and a dessert a la carte to having dinner. But now you set the time anywhere between five thirty date, but because we're learning and improving ourselves, we've realized that setting a time for everybody to eat at the same time for us in the kitchen, because we're such a small staff is incredibly beneficial. So now we ask everybody to come at six thirty for dinner and you can come early and have some munchies ahead of time with a glass of wine and you sit at your own individual table on Friday nights. It's family friendly. And then on Saturday nights is the more farm to table experience. That's two, two and a half hours long. It's communal dining, white tablecloth, and you get me as the sideshow. So awesome. uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a fun, unique experience. And our menu changes every weekend and our menu is seasonally based. So um, we, we're very... Uh, adamant about that. Um, unfortunately, there are some ingredients that we just can't grow here on the farm. So um, we try to be as uh, authentic to seasonal as we can. Terrific. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.